Well, we are just starting a brand new series today that we're calling Letters, Philippians, looking at, uh, we're going to spend some in-depth time looking at the book of Philippians together and uh, viewing it through the lens of the fact that this was written by the Apostle Paul to a distinct group of people at a distinct time and in I don't know about you, but it's so encouraging that uh, as we maybe pull back a little bit from uh, some of the flash that takes place in worship, I love loud music just as much as the next person. I love drums and electric guitars, but I had some opportunity this week to reflect on why it is that we gather together as a community, why we gather together as a church. And I think moments like the prayer that we just had, moments to reflect and to come together and to strip away everything except this core gospel, this thing that rallies us together is impactful in our lives and impactful as we go throughout life because uh, as we sung about and as we prayed about, stuff happens, right? We talked about Vegas, we've talked about hurricanes, and now even more hurricanes happening. And if it isn't for this community of people, if it isn't for the opportunity to gather in hope and in faith for something better, um, I, I honestly don't know how to get through weeks like this past week. I hope that you're here for similar reasons. I hope that if you're not here for those reasons, that you're discovering a rhythm to your life where you can step in and find comfort and solace and to know uh, the truth of the Scriptures, that God is close to the brokenhearted. And so if your heart breaks for any of the things that we've talked about, for any things that have happened recently in, uh, in our nation's history or even globally, as I think about uh, Puerto Rico and those people affected by hurricanes in the Caribbean, and if your heart breaks for those, then you're in good company because God's heart breaks as well. And I think sometimes that as we survey the world around us, that can just become a little overwhelming. It can become a little bit too much, and maybe we find ourselves sapped from joy. Maybe we find it a little hard to carry this light that we talked about in our last series, this light of Jesus, the Holy Spirit within us. And when we face situations like this past week where darkness just seems to be over. We need these moments, we need these times to come together as people, as a group, and to declare together that, no, we have a hope and we have a faith, and it is in Jesus Christ. To not be overwhelmed by the situations and circumstances of our world, but to find peace and perspective and love and hope in this gospel and in this Jesus that we worship. So I don't know, maybe you're feeling a little discouraged today. I, I myself, at least before worship, was feeling a little bit discouraged. I was traveling this last week, and I was in California, which it's really hard to like say, oh, I'm feeling so discouraged because I spent the week in California, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, that's funny, right? I wasn't suffering for Jesus in California, right? It was beautiful. Uh, but that meant that I was spending time away from my family, which is always a hard time, right? It meant that uh, I'm like in restaurants calling uh, to pray with my boys as they're trying to fall asleep. And it also means, right, that life just kind of keeps going, right? Nothing's on pause just because we're out of town. And so I find myself at the tail end of this week kind of scrambling to get ready for our worship time this morning, scrambling to put all of those things in place. I don't know if maybe you can relate, whether it was some of the big situations that we talked about or just individual situations at your life where you just find yourself maybe overwhelmed, maybe where uh, joy is maybe lacking or not quite as present as it has been in other seasons of your life. If that's you this morning or if even you can relate to a season like that in the not-too-distant past in your life, then you're in good company this morning. We're going to crack open the book of Philippians, and Philippians is just this uh, fantastic book um, of, of some encouragement and some hope and 
It's going to give us some perspective to walk through situations like we're just talking about. This is a letter written by Paul to the church at Philippi. And of all the New Testament letters, this is by far um, the most joyous, the most happy, the, the most encouraging, both that Paul feels in and of himself and the most encouragement that he has for the local church. And I think the most encouraging for us as believers as we journey and follow after Christ. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and more in this series than any other. Uh, the reason is because we're going to walk through the text together over the next couple of weeks. And the best part about doing that with an open Bible, even if it's your phone, is that you begin to draw lines between thoughts. You begin to connect the dots, as it were. So actually, I'm going to encourage you, if you didn't bring a Bible and you'd like to follow along, to raise your hand. Uh, our ushers would love to give you a Bible. You can borrow it just for this time, or if you don't own a Bible, you can just keep it. Uh, it's our gift for you. We want you to have God's Word in your life. And so it's on page 551, Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just address, there's a little card, right, that was in your bulletin. Did you all see that little card? Didn't fall out. That's important, and here's why. When we do these letter series, as I've kind of hinted at, right, we want to dive deep into the book of Philippians. And so my challenge for us to do together as a church is for every week, it's just a three-week series, uh, but I want us to read Philippians together. It's four chapters, not even one a day, um, and I'm going to give you the preference, right? You can either read all four chapters in one sitting. It'll take you 10, 15 minutes, maybe. You can read one chapter a day, uh, whatever it looks like for you. But the point being that I want us to, to connect some dots as we walk through these chapters, as we walk through what God's telling us. And when we spend this much time in a book, reading it from front to back and each week, we find the opportunity to connect thoughts that maybe we think are disconnected. Some of those verses that we recognize or memorize, the ones that are up on the screen, they've become interwoven in the context of this letter that Paul is writing that, yes, is God-inspired, that, yes, is Scripture, but is written to a people at a specific time and place. So I hope you'll join me in that Bible reading challenge. You can take that card. You can stick it in your Bible. At home, you can put it in your mirror, your car dashboard, um, wherever it's going to work for you to be able to uh, pull that out in the middle of the week and to check the box to say, yeah, I'm doing this. Last time we also did a texting plan that worked for a lot of people. Uh, so you can just text Philippians, make sure you spell it correctly, to, I'm joking, you can text Bible, text Bible to 303-562-1726. Uh, I'll make it easy for you. And I'm just going to send you a, a daily update to say, hey, make sure you're doing your reading. And then there's also a part B to this challenge. You see it down there at the bottom. I want us to memorize one simple verse of scripture. And it's maybe one that you already know. Your kids might already have it memorized if we've been going through that orange curriculum. Um, but the reason why is because this is kind of uh, the linchpin that's going to link all of our sermons together and link this whole book together. So the verse is Philippians 4.13, uh, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I'm going to uh, make us memorize it this morning in three easy steps. Are you ready? Cool. I'm glad you're ready. I'm ready. So here we go. It's up on the screen. You can just read it or you can use your cheat sheet the first time around. Second time around, you close your eyes. Third time around, you turn over the card and the screen goes off. Cool? All right. First time. Here we go. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Remember the verse, Philippians 4, 13. That's once. Okay. Got it? Close your eyes. Cover your card. Here we go. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And last time, we're taking it off the screen, no cheating allowed. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians, what was the verse again? Well done. Thank you guys. You already did it. Now your homework's done. But here's the point. 
As we walk through Scripture each week, as we begin to connect some of these dots and we kind of put a big pin uh, on like a board and begin to tie strings to all of the disconnected thoughts that we're going to talk about, we get to build this story of how God worked in Paul's lives to get him to pen those kinds of words. And as we go through our day, as we go through our week, and we wake up tomorrow and Monday hits us square in the face like a two-by-four, we have the opportunity to have this verse, to have these thought processes, and as we wake up and go throughout our lives, then we get to have this little chunk that we all get to carry with us together that can both encourage ourselves, that we can encourage our spouse, our friends, our families, our kids with. We can have these conversations uh, as we go forward. So if you don't make it to a single service during the rest of this survey, or during the rest of this series, then I hope that you do these two things. hope you read Philippians, and I hope that you memorize this verse and carry it with you uh, as we go through this. Now, you may want to instead raise your Bible and say, hey, can I get one of those uh, so that you can begin connecting the dots? But we're going to dive in here to Philippians. So the one backdrop of information, the one thing that you need to know before we go a little bit too far into this is that this epistle, epistle is a fancy word for letter, it's what it means, right? But this epistle is known as the epistle of joy, right? So Paul is just excited to be writing it for whatever reason, whatever's going on. He is overjoyed. He uses the word for joy or rejoice, the, the root word there, over 16 times in these four short chapters. If you do the math, right, that's four times per chapter or about once every six verses in the entire book, right? Translation, like Paul can't even form a thought without joy being woven into it. And, and that would normally be an all right thing, right? That would be impressive in and of itself, that Paul is just in a place where he's able to be overjoyed and happy and rejoice with people. But the context for his writing of this letter is what makes it stand apart. See, Paul is imprisoned as he writes this letter. He's literally incarcerated as we read through the story and we kind of put things together. We see that he's probably chained to a guard right? All throughout this letter. He's locked up in prison, imprisoned probably for his faith. There's some different conversations about which time Paul was imprisoned, and he writes this. But even that in and of itself, as we step back from just the, the surface level of the text and begin to talk about what do we know about Paul? What do we know about the New Testament? What do we know about the time that this was written? Paul's joy and his inescapable joy, the fact that he can't get away from it, sets this letter apart from all others in the New Testament and hopefully gives us that opportunity to be joyful and encouraged as we go through it. Let me just remind you of who this author is that is so overjoyed. This is his own kind of highlight reel of what goes on in his life. It's found in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. He begins to address the church by talking about some other people, some other ideas, and he says it this way, are they servants of Christ? Parentheses, right? I'm out of my mind to be talking like this. Paul says, I shouldn't even be thinking this way or saying this, but here's his correlation. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged, that's beaten within an inch of his life, severely. I've been exposed to death again and again, right? Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Why was it 40 lashes minus one? Because 40 would kill you. 
Five times I was within one stroke of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones and left for dead is left out of the text there. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in danger in the country, and in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. It sounds like a Miss Dr. Seuss limerick in there somewhere. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the church. I don't know about you, that's not a lot to be happy about. Right? Like, if that's my journey with Christ, I'm like reevaluating everything. I'm going, huh, I wonder if I missed something somewhere, because that sure doesn't sound like except Jesus and your life will get better. Right? That sounds like something contradictory to maybe when we expose ourselves to Jesus and we make that commitment of faith. But this is the journey that Paul says he took in pursuit of Christ. And it's in one of those imprisonments that he references where he writes this book where he is overflowing with joy. He's overflowing in the midst of all these circumstances. And it culminates in Philippians chapter 4 with the verse that we just memorized. Let me read it to you in context. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. As I read those two paragraphs, as I sit back and survey, a piece of me just goes, wow. Right? I've got something to learn here. Because on my best day, I don't know that I can say what Paul just said there in Philippians 4. That I've learned how to do this, that I've learned how to navigate my circumstances. And on my worst day, I'm nowhere near in that list of all that Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. Paul on his worst day is better than me on my best day. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to lean in to this book of Philippians. It makes me want to lean in to all that Paul writes and to go, teach me something, right? Teach me how to have that contentment. Teach me how to draw the correlations between when my circumstances are one way and my faith is another. Paul, I've got something to learn. Can you teach me? And thankfully, he's written for us in this book of Philippians. And thankfully, we've got the opportunity to learn some of these lessons, but if I could sum up a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today and hopefully set the stage for this series, it would simply be this, that Paul has learned how to have joy in his life regardless of circumstances. And I hope that as we journey today and as we journey through Philippians, as we do our reading, that we get to learn something of the same, how to have joy regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in the world around us, regardless of what's happening inside or outside that we have joy, that we have, this, that we have this overflowing resilience to endure what the world would have for us. And not that we would simply endure, but that we would rejoice in doing so. How does that happen? I have no clue. 
But Philippians and reading through Paul's writing is going to give us just a little bit of insight, a little bit uh, as we journey together and hopefully learn over these next few weeks, right? So the fundamental problem, the issue that at least I face, I think that we face it too, is that far too often the circumstances of our life, the things that swirl around us, whether they be international, whether they be political, whether they be in our family unit, no matter what it happens, but the outside circumstances of my life have far too large of an effect on my internal demeanor, right? The situations, the circumstances that the world plays out, the circumstances of my life tend to rock the boat of my faith a little bit, right? They tend to attack or to diminish or to change the amount of joy that I have. And so as I read Paul and as I look at his circumstances, there's a piece of me that that questions that, right? My circumstances, if I'm in prison, is going to affect my attitude and my outlook, but not for Paul. Let's look at his conclusion. This is chapter 1, verse 12, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, this isn't bad news. This is good news. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, Paul says, man, this jail cell has actually been a really good thing for the gospel. Because I'm in chains, because I'm in prison, because I'm here, the gospel has been shared. The whole palace guard now knows the story of Jesus. See, if I think about being imprisoned and chained up, tied to a guard 24 hours a day, it was probably for Paul's safety. Either people were trying to take him out, and so the guard was there to protect him. Or if you read through the book of Acts, right, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens and people just disappear from jail cells. You remember hearing about all all that stuff. So they weren't going to let that happen to Paul. So they're chained probably hand to hand for a 24-hour period, and the only break is when they changed the guards. Now, I don't know about you, that would cramp my style, right? Like, I don't want somebody chained to me 24-7, and I have kids and a wife, and so there's always people around, but there's at least some space there, right? I can at least disappear into another room for two seconds, Uh, but being chained to somebody, man, there's no privacy. There's no sense of getting away. You are always in front of someone. This is an introvert's nightmare, by the way, right? Extroverts, maybe you're like Paul and going, man, this is the best thing ever, right? Because that's what Paul sees. Paul sees, you know what? What's great is that every six hours they give me somebody new to preach to. How great is that? This person hasn't heard the gospel before. By the time six hours is up, if you're sitting with Paul, you've heard the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Paul says, because of my chains, I've been able to share the gospel. Now, everybody in the palace knows why I'm in chains. They all know about the gospel of Jesus. Isn't that great news? Sure, Paul, you're a little overzealous there, buddy, but hey, I mean, if that's working for you, but the point there being that our circumstances, when I look at circumstances, I tend to see the things that are perhaps more negative, the things that would impede on the gospel. Wouldn't Paul be doing better if he were outside of jail and speaking publicly as he did? Apparently not. Paul says, because of my chains, because of what's been happening, I'm actually serving to advance the gospel. That's, that's the first step. He says, but that's not even the whole of it. There's even more that's been happening. See, because I've been imprisoned for my faith, everybody else who believes in Jesus, they've been more confident to share the gospel with those people. In other words, this intellectual ascent that faith often is, the yes, we believe in Jesus, yes, we believe that true, Paul says that's transformed and transitioned completely because now that they see me in chains, 
chains and they hear about the gospel being spread, they're even more empowered. They do so fearlessly that they're sharing and spreading the gospel message. Paul says these chains, the, the things that maybe were meant for ill or that are not good, he says, man, these are the best tools used to advance the gospel. And again, he's not just tolerating them. He's not just going, well, if this is plan B, I suppose that's okay. No, he's filled with joy at the prospect of him being in chains for the gospel. See, here's what I think Paul's learned that I still need help learning. Paul learned to take his joy not from his circumstances, but from his salvation, right? His joy comes from his relationship with Jesus. His joy comes from his salvation and his place in eternity, not from his circumstances, not from the surrounding pieces, not from the ups and downs of life. Here's his conclusion, still in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul has learned something about this exterior world, the trappings of this life, the circumstances that too often weigh us down. And Paul said, no, 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 no. My joy comes from Christ being exalted, as always he is, in my body. So whether I live or die, it doesn't matter. All that matters is Christ. All that matters is my salvation. Paul says, that's where my perspective, where my joy, where my endurance for the journey, that's what my life is completely wrapped up in, is Christ and him crucified. This was the confidence and the joy that Paul displayed that whether life or death came, he was resolute in his practices. This is how we read that list in 2 Corinthians 11 and we go, man, Paul, how did you endure all of those things? And he just says, you know what? I just focused on Jesus and I just went for it every step of the way. I never gave up. I never went a different direction. I never feared for my life because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? That means I get heaven. That means I get eternity. That means that I will eagerly get what I hope and expect for. But until God's done with me, I'm here to do his work. And because of that, no earthly circumstance could shake him. Nothing could get at his heart. Nothing made him turn to the right or to the left. He just got it. Circumstances didn't affect him because his joy came from his salvation. How in the world do you get there, I want to know? How do we develop that resilience within ourselves? How do we develop that perspective of joy? Because I don't know about you, but my day typically starts at about 5.30 a.m. with an argument with my six-year-old explaining why this is not the appropriate time to get up and watch a movie. Like, that's how my day starts. And from there, I'm tired and I'm cranky, and now we're getting school ready and school lunches, and I can't figure out why you don't want to eat this for lunch, and so i got to make you a lunch. And then we can't find the left shoe. I don't know where all the left shoes went, but all we have are right shoes in the house. And there's just one thing after another, not to mention work and commutes and traffic and people and coworkers and all of these things. There are more days than I'd like to admit where I'm just surviving until everybody's asleep and I can finally take a breath of fresh air and go, whew, we made it. Just in time to do it again the next day. Our, my circumstance, I won't speak for you, I'll just talk about myself here, right? My circumstances far too often, I feel steal my joy rather than contributing to it. 
And so as I've been preparing for this series, preparing to speak with you all, my prayer has been, God, how do we find that joy from our salvation? How do we recapture it? How do we remember the fact that in light of eternity, none of this horizontal stuff matters? All that matters is Christ and Him crucified. And the Lord reminded me of a verse that's found in Psalm 51. You may remember this. It was made into a song not too long ago. But here's been my prayer and something that I've carried with me, and I'd invite you to do the same. Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is a psalm of David, and I just hear him going through some of these circumstantial things, and this was before the Holy Spirit came as we have it now in the New Testament, and David is just pleading with God, God, keep my joy intact. Don't let the circumstances pull me down. Don't pull your Holy Spirit away from me. Let me just rest in the joy of my salvation. God, return that to me. Restore it within me. And that's been my personal prayer as I've been digging into Philippians and as we've traveled is to go, man, if Paul learned how to not let his circumstances touch the joy that comes from his salvation, we need to learn to do that as a church and as a body and as an individual going through this world with what God has for us. We have to learn how to recapture and recuperate, how to remain steadfast in the midst of life's ups and downs. And we have to learn how to carry with us the joy of our salvation, right? Because it's so easy to be consumed with what our eyes see and what our ears hear, especially when we're connected around the world in an instant, just in the palm of our hands, right? Our world is smaller because we can access it all, and yet it is larger because it is all at our fingertips. And so as we cultivate this heart for God, this life to live for God, I'm convinced of something, and this isn't a new idea, and it isn't original with me, but our interior life, the pieces of faith and of God and of what makes us who we are as followers of Jesus, that that world, that interior life must be bigger than our exterior life than the things that happen around us, than the world around us, than our circumstances Monday through Friday, eight to five. Our interior life must be larger than our circumstances, than the situations around us. Too often we follow Christ in a portion of our lives. We follow him at set times and in set rhythms. But the reality is that to have the kind of joy and the the kind of perspective that Paul has here to endure those circumstances through the joy of our salvation, then we have to have a different kind of model because the waves crash over us, right? And the wind whips around. And as much as we're trying to focus on Jesus, we just get distracted because the world is so large and such a big place and tragedies happen like the hurricanes and like Vegas and all kinds of other opportunities that just come crashing over us. And like Peter walking on the water, we just find ourselves sinking. And the beautiful part about Jesus's conversation with Peter is that it's not a condemning kind of conversation. He doesn't tell Peter, you messed up. Instead, he asks him an invitational question. He points at his success and he says, hey, you were doing it. Why did you doubt? He doesn't scold Peter. He doesn't say, hey, if you would have tried harder, you could have done it. He simply invites him. You were doing it. 
Why did you stop? What took your attention off? Why did you doubt? Church, where do we doubt that God is moving in our midst? Where do we lose the perspective on our faith and on the joy of our salvation and get distracted by the waves and the wind and the world around us when Jesus is just going, focus on me, you keep the joy of your salvation? Why did you doubt? Why do you turn away? Why do we put our faith in all of the things that we know will let us down because we've been there before? Paul draws his strength from Christ and from him crucified and the power of his resurrection because no matter what goes on around him, his joy is set deep within his heart and everything else is just details, including being thrown in a prison and being chained hand and foot to a guard 24 hours a day. This negative situation, this circumstance that would rock our boat at the very least and may even be a catalyst for our faith, we would dismiss and go, this is not God's will for my life. So I just want to end with, with a really simple question to help us maybe experience a little bit of this, and it's simply this. What are you chained to? What, what are you chained to? Right? Maybe you don't have a guard 24-7 like Paul did, but what's that, what's that negative experience in your life? That thing that you would rather do without? That that illness, that opportunity, that job, those co-workers, that spouse, those kids? What's the things that you're chained to, that you're stuck to, that your natural response, your, your, uh, your often way to go throughout this world is simply to say, man, I just got to work past that. I just got to stuff that down and not deal with it. That's a circumstantial thing and I've got to just move past it. And maybe, just maybe, we can take a simple lesson from the Apostle Paul and to go, instead of seeing that as a negative thing, How could we see that as a way for the gospel to advance? How could we see that as an opportunity, as a perspective, as a a way to increase and keep our joy? Maybe it's your job and you're chained to this eight to five cubicle kind of thing and you're chained to your commute and instead of going through that season, instead of going through it in that mindset that you just got to find the opportunity to spread Christ, maybe not with a bullhorn, right? I'm not saying take that to your cubicle and just start yelling, Maybe it's in the music you listen to or the reading that you have. Or maybe it's just as simple as water cooler conversations and instead of jumping on the discouraging train that everybody else has gone, you instead try to infuse hope and joy and a reality of who Jesus is. Maybe it's within your family structure. Maybe it's having the opportunity to carry joy throughout you and you just need to have that opportunity to have conversations around the dinner table, prayers at bedtime to just cultivate something different than what life has given you. Again, we give parents the opportunity to have this conversation with our orange curriculum. It gives you five talking points to be able to go through and to have dinner conversations. You can memorize this verse together as a family so that as discouraging situations come up, you're reminded your eyes are drawn off of your circumstances and up to your heavenly Father because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Whatever God puts before me, I can accomplish and I can achieve, whether it's my job or my family or my commute or that coworker or that annoying neighbor two doors down, whatever it is, I can overcome it. I can achieve it because it's what God has placed before me. All I need to do is reorient my focus and see it not as a negative that I'm chained or hooked or tied down to this thing, but as a way in which the gospel can advance by carrying the joy of my salvation with me in every circumstance and every place where I go. 
So that's my question for you today. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're just going to spend a quiet moment there. There's some white space on your notes. Maybe you want to jot something down. Maybe it's a conversation to have later with your family, with your spouses, to identify those things and to go, what are we locked into? What can we not avoid? And what have we been viewing as a negative that maybe God wants to prepare a way for this to be something very positive, for it to be a place for the gospel to flourish? Would you bow your heads with me? I just want to give you that space, that time to reflect now. If it helps you to listen to my voice or to hear what I'm saying, then then that's great. But more importantly, I just want you to do business with your Father. What are you chained to? What steals your joy? What draws your attention off of Jesus and on to the wind and the waves around you? Maybe it's a scheduling thing. Maybe it's a job thing. Maybe you're just overbooked in too many places. Maybe it's just an opportunity to take a deep breath as we're doing here with this acoustic worship set and to just let peace come. Whatever it is, I pray that you would have the courage, the audacity, the boldness to ask Jesus to help you with it. Maybe you want to pray Psalm 51 alongside of me that God would restore the joy of your salvation and renew a willing and steadfast spirit within you. Maybe you just want to commit to doing this Philippians reading challenge and to taking that joy with inside of you and being able to let it transform your circumstances from the inside out. Heavenly Father, God, We're challenged and encouraged at the same time by this message, God. Well, knowing how perhaps simple it is to focus on you and to keep you central, and yet at the same time, God, knowing that in our past, in our history, God, that we struggle to overlook the waves and the worries of this world. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit and the presence of your Son, Jesus, in our lives, would you equip and enable us to see just the world through a tiny shift this week, God, to see these things not as things that are tying us down, that we're chained to in the negative sense, but that they could be ways in which your gospel could further, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our friends and our coworkers and our families around us. God, would you restore to us the joy of our salvation? And God, would you equip us to be bold as we encounter the circumstances of the world and to proclaim your name and our faith in you? And God, would you let this be a place that we can come together and to celebrate all that you've called us to be, all that you've equipped us to be, and to be reminded, God, that our circumstances don't win the day, but that our joy comes from you and from you alone. Heavenly Father, we pray all of these things in your name and in the strong and mighty name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's kids said, amen. Amen.